Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in New York City, joined by an absolute legend in the poker world. It's is his third or fourth time joining me here on the podcast, but I'll have to say it's it's been a while uh, since we had this guy on. He's uh, a California resident. He's a very successful cash game player who occasionally decides to join us in the tournament streets and run deep in the main event. You also know him as the voice of the World Series of Poker, David Tuckman. How are you, sir? I, I am wonderful. Yeah, we've been together three or four times, but every time with you is like the first time, baby. Oh, that's what they all say. <laughs> What's going on in California these days? You been playing much? Uh, not a ton, unfortunately. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of playing with the mask mandate, so I kind of was staying out of the fray for a little bit. And the mask mandate is finally over, so I'm kind of hoping I can get back in and play a little bit. Just, uh, you know, family obligations and stuff have made it difficult to kind of jump back in as much as I'd like to. So uh, I played a little bit, not as much as I want to. Yeah. Now, you have a lot of different things that you do. You play cash games. You occasionally decide to make day five or six of the main event. You play three tournaments a year, and it seems like you cash in two. Uh, and you're also a, a pretty avid sports better, as our, our listeners, our longtime listeners will recall. So uh, what's been going on in sports betting lately? Uh, well, uh, doing pretty well. We've got our futures bets. Uh, you and I did not bet this year, which is, which is a good thing. Um, so yeah, no, all going well. I've been working with Bet Rivers and Play Sugar House for a while now, creating content for them. So that's a lot of fun. And I'm kind of like I'm their hockey guy. I do some NFL for them, and I'm their baseball guy. I'm not a huge. I don't know a ton about baseball, but I've got a guy who's really, really good. And and often that's that's the uh, the trick. Just know a guy. Yeah. So. Well, it seems like what works really well for you is just bet against the Orioles and anyone who's dumb enough to make a futures bet on the Orioles. And that seems to be your bread and butter over the last several seasons. <laughs> and uh, this been, year, yeah. same thing this year, man. They're, they're terrible again. That's been good. I, I actually did. I avoided the Orioles though because I thought they had some good young bats that might surprise. So I avoided the Orioles. Last year we went four for five. On our uh, our totals this year, I think we've got like seven. Five of them are looking really good. Two are kind of middling right now, so we'll see how it plays out. Uh, but I'm confident. Again, this is not me. This is my boy. I've got a guy in Staten Island. Uh, I call him Nucci from Staten Island, and the dude just like lives and breathes baseball. Well, let's like, uh, just give a quick shout out to Moochie in Staten Island. How about that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's my guy. Hey, listen, we're uh, we're six and two on the baseball season so far, and it's all him. Amazing. Well, I'm guessing he's probably not the only Moochie in Staten Island. Is that a fair guess? I think that's fair. I think that's <laughs> yeah. So, Tuck, you know, everybody wants to know: uh, are, are we going to be hearing your your beautiful baritone voice? In the uh, in the in the booth at the uh, World Series of Poker this year, many people they 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 look forward to that. Those who can't attend, they get to live vicariously through you and as you narrate the the action. So, what are your plans for the summer? 
Uh, it looks like I will be commentating on the World Series of Poker this summer. Uh, details, TBD, but you know, all indications are that I will be in Vegas for at least portions of the summer. Nice to say that, by the way, after the last couple of years, that we're back in Vegas during the summer. Um, as much as it was really nice to be in Vegas in October and November last year, just perfect weather that time of year. So, But uh, there is something kind of synonymous now about being in Vegas when it's 115 degrees and playing poker and sweating with a bunch of smelly other people. Yeah. So um, I will be there. Hopefully I can play a few events. And the plan certainly is to commentate on a handful of events as well. Wow, excellent. So, uh, you know, I'm weird, Tuck. I actually love the heat in Vegas. I don't mind it at all. Like on my day off from a tournament grind, I love to just go to the pool and enjoy the hot weather. I, I know I'm the only one. Everybody was so happy uh, to be there in the fall last time around. But I, I'm looking forward to June and July being in Vegas right where I belong. Yeah, you're weird. I don't know what to say. Um, I mean, honestly, like June, July, August, September really are the reasons why I could never live in Vegas. I mean, it's See, on my, my wife and I have a list of cities we would never move to and Vegas is on that short list. But it's, it's really just because of that. You know, it's one thing to have like one unbearable month, but they basically have four. Yeah, I mean, I'm into it, though. You know, I, like you say, I'm weird. It's a dry heat, Tuck. It's a dry heat. Yeah, no, it's fucking hot, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really fucking hot. Well, you know, the big news this week has been uh, all this alleged cheating by this guy and that guy. Um, and some people are saying that maybe it's time that we had a, uh, a poker blacklist. What are your thoughts on the latest cheating scandals and... Uh, and the the blacklist idea specifically. I mean, listen, I'm not in the know when it comes to Ali Imsurovich's allegations against him. You know, I, I don't know much about poison frogs uh, or, <laughs> or, or cults or anything like that. You know, uh, I, I try to kind of stay out of those lanes, Yeah. as they might say. Um, I'd love the idea. Like, the idea of a blacklist is brilliant. I mean, I think it's ridiculous that Somebody can cheat in, you know, somebody can cheat in Caesars, get 86 from all Caesars property, but then go play in an MGM property, you know? Um, and I think, you know, from a worldwide standpoint, I think the, the, the industry would certainly benefit some, some sort of blacklist. That yeah. said, from a pragmatic standpoint, I think it's a very, very tough thing to kind of happen because unless somebody has – you know, unless somebody has done something and is charged legally and is found guilty, I don't think that these casinos and these card rooms would expose themselves legally. And I get it. I mean, fuck, Mike. Po I mean, Postle, uh, We had all the evidence in the world, and the DOJ was just like, "Huh? What? Did so something happen here? I don't get it. They just it's just way above their pay scale. They don't understand it." And, you know, if we tried to explain, like, you know, RTAs to the DOJ, they would just be lost. So that's that's the problem with it. Um, in theory, I love the idea of a blacklist. To me, if you cheat and there is proof and there could be some sort of a uh, – like some sort of a hearing-type board 
you know, and, and maybe you have like Matt Savage and Sean McCormick and, you know, some top poker players on that board and, you know, Tony Burns and, and the like. And they kind of say, yeah, he's guilty. Um, you know, maybe there's a jury, whatever it is, of poker players and and there's guilty. I would love to see a scenario where those players were blacklisted and not allowed in tournaments anywhere, card rooms anywhere. I think that would be brilliant. I mean, it's kind of done in Vegas. If you're a card counter, if you're found to be a card counter in one casino, your name goes around like, you know, wildfire. And you're not going to be allowed in any casino. So that's a, But that is done under the guise of we can refuse service to anybody. Yeah, yeah it's interesting about the blackjack thing because, you know, as many on Twitter have pointed out, when you cheat at blackjack, you're cheating the casino. When you cheat at poker, you're just cheating... The other players, so some people that may be a little bit more uh, cynical than you or I could be, uh, they think that that's why the casinos don't care because it's not coming out of their pockets, but yours and mine. Yeah, and I, I do think there's a legal thing. I mean, I think, you know, and for casinos, they're at it, I guess, can they expose themselves legally? Um, but I guess you could make the argument that, I mean, if they can ban, you know, if they can ban somebody for card counting, and not allow them in their casino or to play blackjack, why can't they do that in poker too? Why can't yeah. they refuse service based on the same thing? Yeah. Now, of course, a lot of the uh, alleged cheating, and I'm very careful to always use the word alleged. Even when I did Mike Possle, I still was using <laughs> the word alleged, even though to all of us who have ever played cards for more than five minutes, uh, the alleged was probably unnecessary. Uh, that yeah, guy yeah. was totally cheating. Uh, but yeah, the whoa, whoa, these... <laughs> whoa! Slow down there, okay? <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Call my lawyer. Uh, a lot of the alleged cheating that's going on these days is in the online high stakes world, which of course you and I are smart enough to stay away from. But you know, what are your thoughts on what can be done, like just within the online world, uh, to prevent cheating or to try to uh, just do something about, you know, whether it's people multi-accounting or, or playing uh, as a team or, or whatever else people do, ghosting. You know, I've yeah, heard about I, a lot of ghosting. What is what? What do you think could be done? I don't know if I'm the right person to ask because you know, while I played a lot of online poker back in the day, I don't. I'm not like you know. I, I do a lot of commentary for online poker, but I'm not playing online poker on a regular basis. So there are probably people out there that are far more informed about this than I am. You know, I think I, I think people want to do it, do it. You know, you hear about Phil Galfon talking about what he can do with his with his wet with his site. Uh, you know, and, and security, security, integrity of the game. That's what's so important. I remember having a conversation with Brian Rast many years a few years ago during an 888 ride, and he talked about how online poker was becoming like chess. He's like, I didn't get into poker so I could play chess. You yeah. Know? And where it's just like it's just solved, and you just you can't beat somebody because they're. And he kind of got into that, and he didn't really get into the whole cheating aspect about it. But it's just a shame. I mean, it's just an industry and a game that I love so much, and unfortunately, anytime you have you know a lot of money up for grabs, there are going to be people out there, and not a lot, not many of them, but there are going to be people out there, and we'll hear about it in the news who, you know, will do whatever they have to, whether it be cheating or not, to get their hands on that money. So 
Um, I, I wish I had the answer of like what would be the fix. I don't know. I mean, and I don't want to sit here and spout a bunch of ideas that I'm ignorant on. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, I personally have had a moderate amount of success online, and anytime I'm deep in a in a major tournament, like especially one with a a higher price point, a higher buy-in, I just assume that some of my opponents have like their coach in the room with them or they might even be working in larger groups. You know, I, I just, I assume that that's happening on at least one of the accounts. You know, I, I don't know. I guess it doesn't deter me from playing, but it might deter yeah. me from playing a higher, higher buy-ins, I guess. Yeah. The, that's the problem. It doesn't deter you from playing because you're, you know, you're a top player and you know, you're good and you believe in yourself and you should, you know, for, for good reason. But you know, like if my dad came to me and said, "Hey, online poker is now legal where I am. Should I play?" And I, uh, what would I say to him? You know, right. what would I say to my dad? What would I say to my brother-in-law? What would I, you know what I mean? Yeah, which... you know, and like, and, and somebody who's just a recreational player, I'd be like, "Well, are you prepared to put in a ton of studying and do this?" Or they just like, "I just want to play poker, man." <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to study. Yeah, I don't want to study, and I also don't want to get cheated. So yeah, there are a lot of deterrents. Uh, for new players entering the entering the world of online poker, uh, I think cheating in a live tournament is much harder. Although, I mean, you'll hear stories about of course. alleged chip dumping or, or whatever else. You know, if two people happen to be at the same table or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, some of these fields, like this opening event this summer, the housewarming, uh, welcoming us all to the new uh, venue for the World Series, it would be virtually impossible even if you and I had the worst of intentions to figure out how to cheat in, in a tournament like that, right? I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's just really difficult. Obviously, if you get thousands of people, even if you had even if you had eight or ten horses, you know, you know, talking about like men the master or I guess, you know, the alleged chip dumping and stuff going on. Yeah. You know, if, when you have, you know, 600, 800, 1,200 runners, you know, it's impossible to know who's going to be at the right table at the right time and are you going to be able to do it. You know, but when these fields are smaller, it's a lot more, you know, it's a lot more doable. I mean, I will say, listen, I, for me, online poker, you know, you have the legal challenges of trying to get, you know, get your game and get your site in different countries and different states and, and different areas of the world. And now you have, and I think you've always had it, the number one challenge really is making sure that people are playing on an even ground. And you can figure out whatever that is. But Matt Glantz put a tweet out the other day, and I thought it was interesting because um, half of Matt's tweets are just completely crazy, <laughs> and half of them kind of make sense, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, and if you read through the tea leaves, you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, okay. He's not entirely crazy. Um, but he wrote something the other day, and he said, you know, anytime there's a lot of money involved, anytime you put rules in place that are not enforceable, people are going to break them. And it kind of goes true. It's kind of true, you know. It's one of the reasons why, like the drug, the war on drugs never worked, right? Yeah. Um, you know, speeding. You know, the speed limit is 55. I'm driving the other day, and I was going like, I don't know, I'm going 72, and my and my kid is in the back going, Dad, the speed limit's only 55, and I go, Yeah, okay, shut up, kid. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's just so in poker. You know, if you want to, if you if you're an online poker operator. And you want to make it fair, and you want to figure out a way to do it. You better, you've got to figure out a way to do it that's enforceable. Otherwise, there's no point. And yeah, because then you challenge. end up you end up punishing the people that follow the rules. <laughs> right. 
right? Like if we ban guns, for example, this comes up a lot when people well, talk can about. Can you really go in there? Yeah, but people talk about this. Uh, they, you know, all you're going to have is that the criminals who don't follow the laws anyway are still going to have their guns, right? I mean, that is the exact argument that the Second Amendment rights crowd uh, draw. They they point to that argument. Now, I'm not saying that I believe we shouldn't ban guns or that we should, because this is not a a political podcast. But it, it is a case in point of, well, if you can't enforce the rules, then who suffers? from following the rules, right? Just those who have to follow the rules because that's how they are. Right, right, right. And I mean, the so, Second Amendment also allows... I guess I should just go out and get a fucking bazooka too, right? But anyway, that's not that's not for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to trigger you there, Tuck. Get it? Trigger? <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's part of it. It's also a matter of... It's not just a matter of... It's not also a matter of just like, you know, making it unfair for the people who are following the rules. It's also making it for unfair for the people who just don't even know. Like if I ask my dad, like, hey, dad, what's what's RTA? What's he, he didn't know. You know what I mean? He'd be like, huh? I don't know. I put a hundred dollars on the site. and I'm just going to play some tournaments. <laughs> yeah. And what chances he have if everyone else or half the people or even a few of the people are using RTA? I mean, I feel like, you know, obviously straight up in a casino in live poker, you have a much better shot at a fair game. I don't know. You hear things about people marking the cards or, you know, whatever. But a lot of times I think those things come to light. So, yeah, man, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough yeah. to figure this I think, one yeah, out. I think, I think the online companies have a real challenge in front of them. And this has always been the case when gambling is, is you need to make sure the players know the game is safe, that it is, play, is being played on the up and up. And uh, whatever the rules are, come up with them, but make sure they're enforceable. And then go from there. Yeah, I mean, half the, half the players think that the sites are cheating. And now you have to worry about if your opponents are cheating, too. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, it's, it really is. I mean, whole, listen, as, as somebody who does live stream commentary for a living, you know, the Mike Postle thing up in, up in Sacramento was very distressing as a poker player, but also because this is what I do. You know, and I'm not stupid. I realize that, hey, if this is a threat, these live streams could go away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, who wants so, to play on a live stream if you think you're getting screwed out of hundreds of thousands of dollars? Of course. Well, yeah. And, and listen, if you're, you know, if you're somebody who makes laws and stuff and you see that, you can go, hey, no more live streams. You know, if you're the Nevada Gaming Commission or the California Gaming Commission, you go, OK, let's get rid of these live streams. That's obviously the problem, uh, whatever it might be. You know, it's one of the things I really love about Hustle Casino Live, and I'll, you know, I'll just prop up my show that I work on right now, is that integrity is at, like number one, like, absolutely number one. There is no, you know, nobody's allowed like smartphones, nobody's allowed, uh, nobody's allowed watches on the on the table. You know, there's a huge delay. Uh, you know, the commentators don't have nobody. Everybody puts their phone in a locked away area before they go in the production. So it's just from that aspect and I think they realized and and smartly so they realized hey safety and security has to be our number one thing then we'll grow from there well you know talk every time I come to the LA area I always make a point of playing at Hustler it's actually an underrated I think an underrated poker room there I think maybe it's getting more highly rated now that the uh, the Hustler live stream is doing so well but yeah, I used to kind of feel like I knew about a little secret in that part of the city. 
Uh, really nice. Yeah, no, it's casino. pretty sweet. Yeah, really great. Um, DGAF, who I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. He's a big time cash player. He's hosting a couple of days a week there. I'll be playing there. The Hustle Casino live games are going five days a week. Um, it's a night. I mean, the food is good. Yeah. So yeah, it's a nice get, spot. Get the uh, get the spinach salad with salmon. Really good. <laughs> Highly recommended by Clayton Fletcher. <laughs> there you go. Well, next time, hey, next time you come in, we'll get you on the show. Oh, I would love to play. Definitely. Count me in, buddy. All right. Well, let's, let's stop talking about cheating and other depressing things, and let's get excited <laughs> for the summer. Uh, you know, this comes out uh, this coming Friday, so it's almost May. We've only got one month to go, basically, until the uh, WSOP kicks off. I'm looking forward to just seeing how they can renovate. Bally's Paris uh, convention area. I think they're going to rename it the Horseshoe. I, the last I heard, they were about to rename it the Horseshoe, but that was supposed to happen in April and it hasn't happened yet. Um, you know, what are you looking forward to the most? Um, I mean, I'm just looking forward to being back. I'm looking forward to the numbers. I mean, I really think that this summer is going to... I think we're going to see some historic numbers. Um, I, I think we're going to break records. And they're going to be they're going to be problems for those of you listening and you know you love tournaments you're coming to Vegas just expect it you know and, and kind of just just understand that first off it's it's going to be hot people are going to be irritable uh, it's a new place and they are going to have this summer is going to be ridiculous uh, you know with with COVID restrictions finally falling by the wayside with the vast majority of people who want to be vaccinated that are vaccinated and uh you know i'm not not gonna sit here and say COVID is over i don't want to get into that either but but it certainly seems like the worst is behind us and people are no longer letting it you know it's not controlling our lives anymore i do think that we are going to get just crazy crazy good numbers in vegas this summer so uh, i think it's going to be amazing i think it's going to be a shit show at times and uh, I, I mean, I, I, I do think I, I'd like to think that the World Series of Poker and the good people over at Caesars will be prepared for what will be bedlam. <laughs> and I'm looking for hey, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just going to embrace it all. Embrace the bedlam. I just think yeah, just just know like listen, if you show up, if you have a if you have an 11 a.m. tournament and you show up at 10 a.m. to register, just know you're going to be late. Okay much better like either show up at six in the morning or show up the night before register then go home get a good night's sleep and wake up and come in uh just expect it and listen if they if they figure it out and there's not crazy lines bonus so you're setting the bar low for the for the new venue you're not expecting things to be you know to go off without a hitch is what it sounds like to me i think that would be naive because i think i think the new venue is going to be paired with historically high numbers as well i think you know people are itching to go you know people that have waited and waited and even last year at the world series when people really wanted to get out of the house none of the we didn't we our numbers were really good despite the fact that europeans didn't come until mid-november right so now you've got all of Europe coming out again. And then I still think there was at least portions of the country that were trepidatious about flying and coming to Vegas and playing poker back in November that by the summer they won't be. Um, so, yeah, I, I think – yeah, I mean it's not even setting the bar low. 
because I think it's going to be an amazing experience as long as you kind of embrace it. I don't know. Listen, living li- living in L.A., I could either you know beat my head in every day because of traffic, or just know that's part of life. Embrace it. Okay, cool. You know what? I'm going to read. A, I'm going to listen to an audio book on my in my traffic. You know, I'll get my phone calls done. So that's my advice to people, and that's kind of what I'm looking forward to this summer. All right. Well, I'm going to take that advice. I'm going to take my patience pills and embrace the bedlam. And then if there is no bedlam, I'll just be pleasantly surprised. But don't expect perfection. Yeah. Well, Tuck, um, you know, I'm, I alluded to the fact that you occasionally run deep in the in the main event, just you know, for fun. Not compared. Not compared to you. Compared to you, I'm like getting knocked out in day one, but. Um, yeah, considering I don't play that many tournaments, the World Series, I think the main event really is, um, it's such a unique animal unto itself, and it is a very good tournament for my style of poker. Yeah, it I'll really is. Uh, you know, you hardly ever play any tournaments, but you usually put on a good show for us when you do decide to play the main event, or I should say when your schedule allows. I mean, certainly anyone would decide to play the main event. I mean, I'll probably never miss it. If I'm ever not there, I always say this, uh, just assume I'm dead. Like, if, if you <laughs> if you see that I didn't play the main event, let's just assume that I'm dead. That'd be really awkward, because I'd like to go to your funeral. <laughs> You're, like, number one on the invite list, if there It'd is one. It'd be such one. a terrible way, to, terrible way to find out and be like, oh, man, not only, is, not here. Not yeah. only is he dead, but I missed the funeral. Missed the funeral. <laughs> I love talking about my funeral. All right, so... <laughs> So let's do a hand. Do you have a hand from your... I got a bunch. What do you want? You want day one, day two, day three, day four? Give me a day. Well, look, I've been I've been uh, kind of reviewing hands that other people played on day one and two from last year. So why don't we do one from day three, if you got a good one there. Day three. Let's see what we got here. Yeah, we covered Doyle's table. You know, whatever they've been showing on Poker Go, I'm finally catching up. There's so much footage on Poker Go. I mean, I can't imagine that any poker fan would think that the price of Poker Go is too high. You could literally watch poker for the rest of your life and still not see everything they have. Yeah, the only problem with it is, and listen, I love Poker Go. I subscribe. It's fine. There's just a lot of free poker out there. I mean, there's so much poker out there, period, that you could argue that you don't. You could pay nothing and still not see all the poker out there. Well, that's true, too. But, yeah, I just think the quality that they have, you know, it's just... I love the I love the World Series and I want to watch those tournaments. So that's what I'm into. Okay, let's see what we got. Oh, I got a weird spot. Okay, so late. This is post dinner. This is post dinner day four. Day four. Okay. Yeah, I'll give you day four one. That's um, cool. So we're well into the money by this point. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I think we made the money late day three. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah we're well in the money. I mean, four hundred and change left. Um. Anyway, so post dinner, I had blind, I not blinded down, but I lost a couple of pots here and there, and just hadn't chipped up. Um, we're on about a million chips, a little bit under like nine hundred eighty-five thousand. Blinds are eight sixteen sixteen. How did you like your table? Uh, it was by far the hardest table I had. So day one, day one was um, average for a day one. Not great, but not bad at all. It was fine. I picked my spots. Day two was brilliant early on. Like the first three hours were brilliant, and I basically tripled up. Late day two, I, I went into this like maniac's table where I, I went from like being the big stack the first three hours at my table to a table where 
I was like the shortest stack and I had like two half million chip stacks on my left. I hate that feeling. It's one of the craziest things about poker though and it's one of the things I love about tournaments is that you're literally like you have to like pick and choose. It's almost like a golfer like the master is just just behind us. If you're a golfer, you know there are certain days where the wind is going the right way, the conditions are such that there are going to be holes that you attack and you go for the birdie, you know? And then there are going to be days where, you know, you're just like, nope, I'm just – today's a par day, right? I'm just trying to get pars. Just lay up and try to give yourself a shot at par. Yeah. Yeah. So – and I love that about poker tournaments because early on in day two, it was very much like, okay, I'm in chip accumulation mode. Get as many chips as I possibly can. Play as many hands as I possibly can. I am by far the best player at this table, okay? And I just dominated. Then I go to end of day two. I literally had a poker news reporter behind me. And he asked me about it, and I go, yeah, I'm in just, I'm treading water now for the next. I had like, we had a level and a half left in the day or so, and I was like, I'm gonna tread water the last three hours, uh, wow. because it was just that one, you know. Day three, I had a fantastic table, and I was, I went into day four with like a top 100 stack. Wow. Like I abused the bubble. Like, it was so much fun. Yeah. So much fun. So day three was brilliant. Uh, I was just cruising, you know. Sure. That was beautiful. Day four was really, really tough. I had like two Germans. I had another pro. I had Elkie at my table. Oh God! So it's what you kind of expect. It's more of what you'd expect as you get, you know, further along in the tournament. The cream rises to the top. There are less bad players. There are more good players. But day four was a tough, tough table. So if my math is correct, you got what, like 60, 60 big blinds here? Uh yeah, I think that's exactly right. I have yeah, the blinds are eight sixteen. I've got nine eighty five. So sixty two bigs. Yeah, sixty two, and then your M is twenty five for those who prefer M, like yeah. me. All right, so what happens? Uh, so okay, so I, it's literally post dinner. I come back. The big blind had not returned yet from dinner, and I'm in the small blind. Okay, <laughs> so that's a. It's already kind of a little bit of a weird spot, right? Yeah, because then if anybody raises, you're like, well, are they just trying to get that dead money? Um, yeah, th there are some dynamics with people not coming back from dinner in time for their big blind. In my experience, in all of the days of the main event, but especially once you're in the money, I find that right after dinner, players tend to be, uh, they come back from dinner ready to play. They want to bluff. They want to get in there. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm chewing pizza. That's okay. I mean, uh, I wouldn't expect you to wait 45 minutes to eat your pizza just because we're recording a podcast. I mean, by all means, Tuck. Is there I had a least... swim this morning. I had a hike this morning. <laughs> i got to keep this figure. Okay? Otherwise, I waste away nothing. Mushroom okay. and pepperoni or what? Like, the, let's get it's, into No, it's actually – oh, it's a Syracuse pizza. It's delicious. It, it's, um, it's chicken mm. but with a buffalo sauce. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a buffalo spice sauce. I think basically that, like especially like buffalo wild wing. Ooh. Like a buffalo wings, you know, spicy yeah. pizza. Really good. Anyway. Oh, it sounds GTO to me. I digress. Anyway, let's move on. Um <laughs> so I, I'm sitting down, I'm in the small blind. There is no big blind. Under the gun two opens, okay? Yeah. To thirty two thousand, min open. He has five hundred K behind. Okay? Yeah. Yep. So we're, you know, what, thirty I want to say, what, 40 bigs deep? I'm sorry, uh, what is that? It's about 30, right? 30, yeah, 30, uh, yeah, like 31, 32 big blinds deep. Yeah. I'm in the small blind with Jack, nine of hearts. Okay. Right? I, I mean, you could absolutely fold. Um, I think folding is fine. Jack, nine, hard heart? 
Yeah, I think folding's okay. He's raising from early position. Um, we do have to wonder, is he trying to steal the big blind? Uh, folding is absolutely okay. I think calling is okay. I'm not a fan of three betting this hand. So. Well, there's no right. I remember I'm in the small blind, but there is no big blind. Right, right. So I, I mean, closed the action. So it was one of those things where I'm not quite. I'm, I'm treating it like a big blind situation, but knowing that I'm not quite getting the right, the exact same price. So instead yeah. of, you know, instead of calling 16 to win 40, which would make it a no-brainer call from the big blind. Yeah. You know, I've got to call uh, 24 to win 40. Yeah, and so it's sorry, a, I got to win twenty four to win seventy two. Right, so it's a it's it's not a terrible price. Um, you know, it's it's like a three to one three to one odds. But you know, Jack nine suited against an early position raise. Uh, you're going to be out of position. Uh, it, folding is okay, but I probably would call. Okay, so uh, pot I call. Pot is from my gathering. I think it's eighty eight k. Might be yeah. more than that, actually. I think it's got to be more than that. I think my math is off. 32, 32, and there's a 32 dead money, right? Because 16, 16. So, yeah, the pot's got to be 96K. That's so right. I, I wrote it down wrong. Okay. Um, so um, I call. Flop is queen, 10, 10. Okay, okay? so we're open-ended. Any hearts? One heart. Okay. I mean, we're never leading. We're going to check to him every time. I check. Yeah. He bets 21k, so he bets uh, you know quarter pot. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind whatever you want to do here, except folding. I mean, you can call and just try to make a hand. Um, you could definitely check raise. I think that we it's queen ten ten, right? Queen ten ten. Yeah, we should have more tens than he does. Um. So we you know we have a I guess a nuts advantage, if you will. Although I mean I suppose he could have pocket queens or pocket tens, but he won't have a lot of tens in his in his early position raising range not as many as we do anyway from our calling position i mean we should be calling from out of the big blind with ace 10 suited king 10 suited do you consider under the gun plus two early position even with a big blind not there yet yeah i mean you could say it's you know with that other player missing you could treat it more like an early middle if you okay. want but yeah i mean I, I put him on a fairly strong range uh he like, I wouldn't respect a late position raise as much as I normally would, which isn't very much, by the way. Um, but especially when the big blind is missing, then I really would discount the um, veracity of someone claiming to have a hand from late position. But when this guy's doing this from, you know, just one fold to him or, or two folds to him, I think it's, uh, yeah, he's early middle. So I, I would put him mostly on a value range. But, yeah, he doesn't like those 10s. He's not going to have a 10 in his hand uh, very often. I think we'll have a 10 in our hand more often. So we could go for the check raise here if you want to. Also, he's got a pretty sizable SPR, so we've got some wiggle room. It's not like anyone has to get pot committed here on the flop, especially with this tiny uh, you know, quarter pot bet that he's made. So I I'm happy to call or raise. What did you do? I called. Okay. So uh, pot is now about 120,000, okay. about 130,000 actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, turn is a king. Hmm. So I make the straight. Yeah. Yeah. So I, great card for us, obviously. Right, right, right. Now there's a couple of different spots here. I mean, I sometimes I actually like the check call lead here. 
um, because a lot of players will check that back and stuff. But I, I decided to check it. Yeah, well, you're not um, going to get two more streets of value very much if you check again, right? But the that game, was my thought process, right? Yeah. Like, if he had a queen, I mean, honestly, even if he has like, even if he has a hand like aces, he might just he might get one street and that's it. You know? Yeah, probably, probably so, he has to worry about a ten. This is the crazy thing. So this is my plan was I was going to check my plan once I decided to check. I decided I'm going to check. He's if he bets, I will probably check raise all in or check raise pretty significantly. Okay. All right. Um. And go from there. I check. He bets pot. Oh. Yeah, that was my thinking. That Ooh. was almost. A, by the way, that was almost exactly what I said in my head. Oh. I, I didn't verbalize that, but I went. Oh. Yeah. So now I'm thinking, I felt like his sizing was so polarizing on the turn. Now I'm taking the raise out of my – out of I, I'm like, now nah, I can't raise here. I decide just to call. Yeah, well, we can't fold. I mean, we, we've No, no, no. I've got a fucking straight. I'm not Yeah, we're not everything. folding. But, yeah, I agree with you. Um, he's representing at least a straight himself with this bet. So – and he will have right, – Keep in mind, keep in mind, ace-jack is a hand – that that's the nut straight. Sure. Uh, you know, pocket kings, pocket queens. Um, you know, are all certainly possibilities. I, I did think, is there a chance he's overplaying a ten? But to your point, and this is something I did consider as well. I didn't know how many tens he had in his range from earlyish middle position. But I did kind of level myself into thinking, well, maybe he has more, considering the big blind wasn't there. Maybe he was stealing. Um, you know, with a hand like Ace Ten or you know Jack Ten or King Ten, but a King Ten and those kings I can't beat anymore. Yeah. Like against his value range, I'm in pretty bad shape right now. Yeah, I mean, he's polarized, so he's either got us beat or he's bluffing or semi-bluffing, right? I mean, this is pretty ugly. Uh, right, and I block. By the way, I mean, if somehow he was going to, I mean, this is pretty high-level thinking, but I'm trying to think like, first of all, if he has a the hands that you'd be semi-bluffing would, would have a jack in there. Yeah, and you and have And it's one. hard to imagine that the jacks wouldn't also have – if he had a jack in his hand, he's probably got showdown value, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he could have pocket jacks, but that seems like a, a very strange play for him to make with pocket jacks unless he's thinking, wow, with these two jacks, I really block the straights. But, you know, he still has to be concerned about you being able to beat a straight, right, because you called him on the flop and, you know, the board is paired – yeah, this is uh, whew, you said this was a tough spot. It really is, Tuck. Yeah, well, it gets tougher on the river, but that that was my thought process, and I just wanted to. So again, I was like, first of all, I block jacks, and I'm like, okay, if, if he's semi bluffing, I think he's doing it with a jack in his hand. But all the jacks that he would raise with an early position, either a have showdown value, or b already have me, you know, already have me beat, like ace jack, for example, and. When I check call the flop, to your point, I have tens in my range. Is he really, you know, is he? I, I, it's really hard for him to like, you know, is he really trying to get me to fold that? Yeah, probably not. And you also have some king ten, some queen ten. I mean, if you have jack nine, you can have queen ten or king ten for sure. Oh, absolutely. Right. So you have. I mean, all again, those yeah. Yeah. It was a weird hand because like the big blind wasn't there, so a lot of hands that I either would fold from the small blind or three bet with the small blinds. I now have. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, this feels pretty bad. I mean, it's like if he's bluffing, what bluffs does he have? 
that he's going to go pot on us. Does the turn card bring a flush draw? Uh, no. Okay, so we can't even we can't even put them on that sometimes. So it's a Padugi board. Ugh. Wow, this is rough. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I don't like my Jack Nine. But at the same time, like we didn't get to this point in the hand. Can you imagine, right? You make the straight, you're like, yeah, baby. Then you check, and the guy you bet you're like, whoa, 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 what just happened here? Huh. Yeah, it's hard to find bluffs for him. Uh, so now that I call. Yeah. Okay, so the pot is now like three, call it 350-ish, okay? And he's only got what, like another two-something behind? He's got, he started the hand with 500, so he's got like 350 behind. Oh, okay, so he's got a pot size bet remaining. All right. Right. Yeesh. Uh, River's a, a five, a blank. Okay. Uh, I check, which I think is at this point pretty standard. The villain bets uh, three hundred thousand, leaving him with fifty behind. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> now, all right. So I don't know this opponent at all, Tuck. But one German, thing, a German okay, guy, a German, a German kid oh, who, a uh, nice guy, yeah. German in his late twenties. Yeah. Not super young. I mean, not like twenty-one, but right. German somewhere. I would say somewhere between twenty-six and thirty-three. Yeah. So at this point, you're really missing your day two table. Your day three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, uh, this is a pretty sickening spot, but I can tell you that a lot of the German players, actually just say a lot of players in general now, will leave themselves like those few chips behind so that if their bluff gets called, they'll they'll have a few chips to try to spin up and maybe ladder up a little bit more. Because remember, you guys are in the money at this point, so... Uh, just surviving a little bit longer can you know, mean a, another thousand dollars or more, right? So, uh, with that said, because they do that when they want to leave themselves a little bit left to spin up, they also need to do that with their value hands. Uh, so, th like him leaving himself a little bit behind doesn't really tell us anything. My problem right now is just name two cards that are bluffing. I I can't. Like, yeah, if, I, I I couldn't either. I couldn't find bluffs in his range. Um, then the question becomes: if he's never bluffing, or we can't even think of a hand, we can't say never because he's German, right? He's going to be bluffing sometimes. Right, right, right. There's always a weird spot that he's bluffing. But. Right, like you know, pocket deuces or something. Who knows? Um, but if he's if it's hard to put him on a bluff, and he's polarizing himself, that means he's betting for value. So the question becomes. Does this player have any value hands that would play this strongly that Jack Nine can beat? And I think the answer is no. So that was my thought. So end of the day, I always try to think about this as a poker player, and I think it's probably one of my best traits as a poker player, and it really helps me in these kind of tournaments, is I'm very good at understanding how I am perceived. And maybe I'm not, but I think I am. So I did not think he thought that I would make a big fold. And when I say a big fold, I mean like a huge fold, like folding trip tens. Right, or better in this case. Right. Now, when yeah. I call the turn, I mean like am I really calling the turn with – like I'm trying to think of a hand. Like, you know, like what hands am I calling the turn with? That's a great point, Tuck. The gentleman bets the pot on the turn and you called. You're always going to have something at that point. He priced you out of all your draws. You have a made hand at least – at least a king. At least a king, right? Like, so let's say somehow I had a, you know, a, 
let's say I had King Jack. There, yeah, so King Jack, king. right? Yeah. Um. So I didn't think he thought I would make a big fold. I also didn't think that he'd throw away his World Series of Poker main event on a bluff. Now I know he's German and younger and da da da, and I know he's still like fifty thousand chips left. But, you know, at this point, that's that's nothing. three big blinds. Yeah, that's nothing, yeah. I mean, that's literally three big blinds. It's one thing to leave yourself with, like, 120 and you've got nine big blinds, but he left himself with, like, three big blinds. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's all in the next hand or two, right? Right, 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 right. So I decided that he was way more likely to have a value in this spot. And you and threw the only it away? That was cons- huh? And you threw away the jack nine? Well, no, I decided he was... But I was concerned that I could beat Ace. I was concerned. I was like, okay, I hate throwing away va- a value, a really huge hand, if I can think of a hand my opponent might be overvaluing. Like maybe they're value owning themselves. Like, does my opponent ever have Ace 10 here? Uh, I think it's it's pretty ambitious to hope that a a German player would play Ace 10 this badly. <laughs> Like this, like this strong, and just completely dismiss, dismiss the fact that I could have a straight there or or a smaller full house. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can, yeah, you can, you might be able to beat a straight the way you've played it. So yeah, I, uh, would he throw away his whole main event on a bluff? Well, I think he's more likely to do that than to throw it all away with Ace Ten. You so can't I even went call. Back and forth. Right, you can't uh, call a three hundred. This one, this, uh, this one fucked with me. I eventually actually called the clock on myself. <laughs> I, I swear, I mean, I, I ended up, by the way, I called the clock on three different occasions during the main event. Good for you, Tuck. Um, I just, I don't put up with it, you know? Me neither. And they were, they were, listen, I play poker for a living, I've done this for a long time. Each and every time that I called the clock on somebody, it was egregious. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. By them. Um, if somebody needs, if, yeah, listen, if somebody needs four minutes for their tournament life, take it, dude, especially if you've been good all day, you know? Right. You've earned it. Um, so I, I, I mean, I actually, not only did I take all the time in the world, I turned my hand over. I'm like showing. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, you know. Um, I did not turn my hand over, obviously. That would have been a penalty. Um, I guess I turned it over at the end. I, I think I flipped it over at the end when I did. Uh, I eventually found the fold. Good for you, Tuck. I mean, look, if you got outplayed, if this is the one time out of, you know, 90 that you were outplayed on this. I mean, if he has ace-10, you can't call. Unless you can beat Ace Ten, so he doesn't have a value bet here. He's not value owning himself with Ace Ten. It's actually. Like I mean, it a, would be a terrible right. I mean, we see bad players all the time value bet a hand and play a hand so badly because they have no idea where they're at. Right, right. And they value bet a hand, and inadvertently, it it works out great for them because they ended up bluffing with it, right? Yeah. I have to imagine that this particular player put me on some sort of a range of hands and realizes that a 10, just trip 10s is probably not a value bet. Right. Yeah, so I, I think we can pretty much remove three of a kind from his betting range when he plays this strongly. And, you yeah. know, this is for our listeners, um, anyone who's wondering what we mean by polarized, you know, we talk about this a lot. When you make a really large bet, you, you're not you're not going to ever do that with, like, a medium-strength hand, like second pair, or something. A really large bet is going to be a very big hand or a very small one. It's not going to be a middle, medium strength hand. So you're polarizing, meaning you're at one extreme or the other. And so I commend you, David Tuckman, on finding that fold. I think a lot of players wouldn't be able to throw that hand away. 
And you have to know that there's a non-zero chance that you got bluffed off a straight. Um, we can't name what that bluff would be, and I'm sure he didn't show you, right? He did not show me, but he did tell me at the end of the day. And so what did he say? He had a full house? He had kings. Yeah, he, so turned, he turned top full house. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what. Which, it's which by the way, when you about. look at the hand, it makes uh, it makes absolute sense because now you're looking at it going, okay, he he knows that I have a lot more tens in his range in my range than he does. He bets small. He keeps the pot. You know, he blocks straight draws anyway. He bets small. He wants value. Once I call, now he's probably thinking, okay, well, you know, what what, what am I looking for? Either I'm up against the queen. I'm up against a smaller straight draw. I'm up against the ten. You know. I have to imagine if the turn was, say, a five, maybe he bets again, maybe he checks, probably bets, but probably bets smaller again. But when the king comes off, now he's thinking, cool, I hope my opponent's got a 10. I'm going to go for the whole enchilada. Right, right. He wanted you to have a 10. He wanted you to have ace-10 and not be able to let it go. But well, you the could... king is such a perfect card, too, because it completes, you know, Everything. if I was in there with ace-jack, yeah, um, I got the straight. If I had jack-9, I've got the straight. If I had a 10... You know, if I had a hand like Queen Jack, or you know, even like like any ten, obviously, suddenly now I'm going to want to stick around so he can size it up on the turn because he knows that whatever I called the flop with is likely likely to continue, except when I have like you know, let's say I had called the flop with like I'm trying to think, let's say like a Queen Nine suited type hand. Yeah. I, I probably tossed that in the muck. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. This is a this is a really good fold. You know, I believe he I believe he had pocket kings there. You know, raising from early middle position, even if the big blind isn't back from dinner yet. You know, and this kind of goes back to what I said. Um, you know, pre flop. I know some of my listeners play a lot. Tighter than I do, and certainly tighter than than either one of us do. Talk, you and I like to get in there, you know. Like I'm a more of a loose. Generally, my playing style is fairly loose. I mean, I, I tend to be tighter in early position than a lot of people, but yeah, a big part of my game is is getting involved, you know. Um, I, I want you to know it's okay to fold the the jack nine even with the big blind absent. You know, if this German guy wants to steal that from where he's sitting. It's not the end of the world to just let him have the pot pre-flop, um, but if you're gonna play it, you got to be good enough to get away from a straight if the situation warrants it, as it does here. So yeah, I thought folding, and I'm curious your your take on the on, on the because I I thought Jack Nine of Hearts was just such a playable hand when you close the action. I thought that was too. I thought that would be too tight a to fold. Um, yeah, I mean if you're if you're losing money by folding then it's because you can make some kind of profit by playing, right? So those two things go together in a zero-sum game. And, like, how much are we really going to make playing Jack-9 suited from out of position against a young German professional? That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I guess I was in the situation as well. At this point, this table, it was just like, okay, uh, pro on my left, pro over here, young German professional over there. Oh, by the way, the guy who finished second place in the World Series main event, he was on my direct left. Also at your table. Great. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, and by the way, I thought, and, and I thought he might be the one spot at the table. <laughs> right. Yeah. The guy who That's came the funny back. thing. I look at the table. I see Elkie, two Germans, another pro. I'm like, okay. And there's this guy on the left who's like, I don't know, kind of middle-aged, a little overweight. I was like, ah, oh, there's the spot. Yeah, right. Well, he was a spot because he didn't come back from dinner. That's about it. 
<laughs> right, exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's the point because I've, my eventual knockout hand there was another situation there where I defended out of the big blind with a seven off suit against an early position open, and I talked to uh, I talked to Patrick Leonard about that, and 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 once I call the flop, my my knockout hand it was on uh, it was on CBS Sports. Uh, I, I defended the big blind with a seven, and the flop came out a seven deuce. Oh, and you lost. My opponent oh. had aces. Oh, jeez. Um, so. Oh, jeez. What are you supposed? No, to no, do? totally. But so I, I had chalked that up to just okay, a cooler. There's nothing I could do, right? But I talked to Patrick Leonard about it, and he opened my eyes to something that you just brought up again, which was just simple as against an under the gun. Listen, a seven off suit is an absolute easy defense from an late position open. Right. But he said, he said, listen, from an under-the-gun open, he goes, a7 off suit is actually a fold. I said, really? He goes, yeah, you're just not, you know, you're not 200, 300 big blinds deep anymore. You know, let's say you're 60 big blinds deep, 55 big blinds deep. He goes, you know, what flops do you like? Um, he's like, how are you going to make money on this? Well, you think if you flop a seven deuce, you could make some money, but instead you end <laughs> right, up going exactly. home. <laughs> uh, but I mean, even like you know, when when a seven comes off, I'm playing defense because it's an early, it's an under the gun open, and he's gonna have a lot of over pairs there. Right. If an ace flops, I, I'm just hoping that I'm not out kicked. Yeah, that's um, a good point. So you know, Patrick's point was you could have avoided the cooler by just folding, and he was not I mean Patrick Lennon's a friggin boss he was he not is. being results oriented he was very much saying I advocate folding that hand in that spot yeah I mean look in the main event you've got two hour levels um, you know we're in no hurry You in a, in a different tournament you have to force the action a little bit more uh, in a tournament like this one now I understand you were at a really really tough table and by the way I just want to reiterate Tuck I would also have called with Jack Nine suited um, even under these circumstances, I don't, I don't say that you shouldn't call or that calling was bad per se. I'm just saying if any of our listeners are like, oh, I probably would have just folded. Uh, I'm with them. I think that folding's also okay. You know, I, I'll put it this way. I think the Jack Nine, the fact that you're even considering folding Jack Nine, just it was the reason I wanted to bring up the A7 hand because I think the Jack Nine hand is, I think it's a call. Getting three to one, I think it's a hand that plays well post flop. Um, you know, I, I actually had that opponent covered, you know, so I, I thought I could, uh, you know, I thought I could make some money on that spot. I think the A7 was an absolute fold, though, the more I look about it, think about it, you know. So and I think that's kind of a valuable lesson for anybody who plays tournaments, any of your listeners. I think, you know, a lot of times we get a bad beat in the tournament or we get coolered and we just, you know, we just kind of chalk it up. Ah, I guess I got unlucky. And I think it's really important to kind of look yourself in the mirror and realize, okay, was there anything I could have done differently? You know, and I'm not talking about like, oh, we'll just move all in with aces preflop so he doesn't call you. I'm not saying something stupid like that. It's just, I, I think there, I think it's really important as a poker player to, you know, honestly evaluate your play after the fact and just kind of think about it. Okay, was there something I could have done? Um, you know, and to your point, yeah, it was a tough table, which makes even more of a reason for me not to play. You know not put myself in, in tough spots out of position. Yeah, I mean, we have we at least have a fighting chance against Germany when we're on the button, you know. Right, right. And and, and by the way, as, as tough as my table was, you know, 
these things change so quickly. I mean, it, let's say, you know, one of the Germans gets knocked out, another guy gets moved, and suddenly I've got two 45-year-old, you know, guys from L.A. <laughs> suddenly I'm like, oh, wow, my table's good again. Right. It does um, happen maybe quickly. maybe I get moved to a different table and suddenly – so I, I do think there – and it kind of goes back to my point from earlier on. I think there are points in the tournament where you have to choose to tread water, lay low, wait for your spots – and then there are times where you want to accumulate chicks. It's a re- you know this more than anybody. It's such a long tournament. It's a marathon. Did you say accumulate chicks or chips? Cause, both, uh, both chicks <laughs> and chips. Chicks dig a guy who accumulates chips. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just think that was if there was a mistake that I made, it was just a, a question of just you know maybe coming back from dinner and feeling like oh let me see if I can get back to up to 80, 90 big blinds like I was earlier. Right. Rather than just being like, I've got 62 big blinds. I'm totally fine. Just fold. Yeah. You're always even. You know, forget the money you lost or whatever you used to have. You're you're even right now. Like, you've got what you've got. And that's the stack we have to play, not the stack we had before dinner. But, yeah, I'm not beating you up for calling with Jack-9 suited. I think I would have called as well. But I definitely think there's a strong case to be made for just staying out of this one. Uh, you know, with being at a disadvantage, you've got a, you know, he's got a, a range advantage pre-flop. Uh, he's got probably a skill edge over us, if we're being honest. Um, not a big one. I mean, you're a very good player. It's not, it, I'm not trying yeah, to... I mean, I, yeah, I didn't think I was outclassed by those players. No, no, at no, all. But, not at all. You can hold that your own mean talk. That, yeah. that even if you're not outclassed, that doesn't mean that they're giving anything away. They're still, you know, really good players. Right, and if, if, if you're up against someone who's about as good as you... Um, and you guys are even, roughly even. Whoever's in position has a huge edge. Well, and also let's let's and let's not forget. And this is something you brought up. He also is going to have a better hand than me. Right, right. <laughs> he's just he, <laughs> <laughs> he's in their early position, early middle position. So he, so, right, yeah. right. I mean, I think I think uh, you know I think most betting markets would go okay. Twenty-nine-year-old German in position started with the better hand. Or dude in his 40s, um, you know, dude in his 40s defending out of position with a worse hand. Right. I mean, yeah, the betting market would definitely favor the German in this case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good, man. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on the podcast and sharing uh, these lessons with us. And I always tell people, if anyone ever asks me, uh, I think you're the best uh play-by-play poker guy ever to me you're the goat i love working with you i love talking poker with you and you know the way that you are able to not only think about the game but the way you're able to bring your insights about the game to light uh on the spot in the moment for a wide audience is such a talent and uh you know to me you're just uh, a legend Hey, thank you. Honestly, that means a lot to me. And and, and I just hope your audience realizes, because to me, you, there is no better poker player slash comedian <laughs> in in the business. I mean, there's nobody. There's I don't think there's any comedian who plays poker better than you, and I know there's no poker player who's as funny as you. So <laughs> I always appreciate a David Tuckman backhanded compliment. <laughs> I love Nothing you. Like I love it. you, Fletch. I appreciate you, man. Hey, what are you promoting before I say goodbye? What do you want people to do? Tell them what to do. I, I, I don't even know. What do I want them to do? Uh, just just live life and have fun and smile. That's All what right. I'm promoting. I'm promoting happiness. I'm promoting, I'm promoting love and smiling and, uh, you know, 
If if you wanna if you wanna do something for me today, say hi to a random stranger today. Oh my God! Somebody just got back from Coachella. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, follow him on Twitter. Talk on sports. And uh, definitely, actually, last week we were on CBS Sports together, David Tuckman and I, doing commentary for the 2021 3K Freezeout, which was a really, really fun final table with a couple of memorable and very colorful characters. Uh, yeah, they showed it last week. I got a few phone calls like, hey, I hear you on TV. <laughs> Makes me happy. That, so. that's, that's always cool. I, I, I wasn't even aware of it. Yeah, they've been airing our episodes, man. So uh, set, the, set the DVR or whatever. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll, I'll just I'll put a tape in my VCR. Yeah, do fun. that too. <laughs> my Betamax is, uh, is still working <laughs> very fine. David Tuckman, thank you so much for joining us here on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Log in, intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't fun, fun.